Equine health is our business. Horses and education are our passion. Welcome to the EquiConnect podcast. Here we will have case-based conversation and talk about interesting news and information with the goal of sharing knowledge, focusing on equine health. Welcome to our latest episode of our EquiConnect podcast brought to you by McKee Panel Equine Services. I'm your host, Karen Fell, and today our guest is long-term member of McKee Panel team, Dr. Catherine Sarasky. Welcome, Catherine. Hey, Karen. Thanks so much for joining us today. No problem. I'm a long-time listener, so I'm really excited to be joining you today. And thank you for saying long-time member and not like an old member. (laughs) Yeah, I'd rather not discuss old. (laughs) Part of the original crew. (laughs) You know it. (laughs) Well, thank you for joining us. Today, we're going to take the discussion in a new direction, and we're going to have some case-based discussion involving a common scenario to horse owners, which is spooky horses. Yep. Hear about this almost every day, Karen. Horses just not behaving properly or uh, doing behaviors that we're not anticipating in the situation. This was Catherine's idea, so I'm excited for us to talk about this. The format gets interesting as we talk about three different cases that are all presented by a spooky horse, but all ended up with very different diagnosis once we start working with the cases. But first, let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Catherine. Catherine has been an associate veterinarian with our Newmarket, now Uxbridge, location for the past 13 years. And I'm sure many of our listeners have crossed paths with you, Catherine. She is also certified in equine acupuncture and veterinary spinal manipulation therapy. That's a really long word, Karen. It is. I know. I like the short form, but I get confused by the letters also. So let's just call it animal chiropractic. (laughs) There we go. From this point on, that's how I will be referring to it. Perfect. Love it. (laughs) Well, Catherine, the weather's getting a little bit colder, so this must mean just one thing, that it's uh, about time for you to head down to Florida. Are you excited? Oh, my gosh. So excited. What was it? Maybe like two weeks ago, I went out to ride and there was literally snow in my outdoor (laughs) and I almost just got in the truck and started driving then. (laughs) Even though I grew up in Winnipeg and I'm very familiar with winters, I just love heading south and not being in the snow anymore. (laughs) Well, and you also have said in past that it was different in Winnipeg, that the cold, I think you said was drier than what we have here. Like it's a little bit damp here. Maybe just because I am old or a long time (laughs) member of being in Ontario, but I find it so damp in Ontario. And yes, kind of in Manitoba, once it got cold, it was just cold and you put every layer on and you could function. But yeah, in Ontario, it just seems you get the ice and the thaws and the freezing and it's just wet feeling. I totally agree. Already, it feels damp, like it kind of goes to your bones. Actually, one of my favorite stories that you've said about being in Winnipeg is about the extension cords that people drive around with. Would you mind sharing with our listeners just why extension cords are so crucial for Winnipeg winters? Yeah. So because it gets so cold in Winnipeg, like literally there'll be a week where it's like minus 50 for the whole week. That is with the wind chill, but it still is a good, exciting number to throw out there. Our cars don't start in that weather. And so they typically have block heaters. So you need to plug your vehicle in when you leave it, even if it's just during the day when you're at work, so that the block heater can try to keep the engine slightly warm so that it'll at least start. You don't start with a warm car, but at least your car should start. That's crazy to think that it's so cold that your car just won't start. It's like, no, you know what? Not today. 
Yeah. When I was in Saskatoon going to school, there's literally a time where it was so cold, the door latch on my car door would not actually latch. It was because I'm frozen open. So I had to carry around a hair dryer and I would try to warm up the latch on my door of my car with the hair dryer to try to get the door to close so I could go home after school. Okay, so essential items for <laughs> Winnipeg winters are a hairdryer and uh, extension cord. Yes, imperative. <laughs> I really, really liked the first time you told me this, and it still gets me every time. Every time I think that it's cold here or my car won't. I've had it happen where my car hasn't started here, and I think, well, nope, you have no excuse. It doesn't get that cold. <laughs> Do you know what your estimated date to be up and running in Florida will be? Yeah, I always try to get down there. So I'm up and running by December the 1st. I found uh, this year and last year, yay, due to COVID, without the Royal, people are heading down a little bit earlier than normal. So the jumpers and even some of the dressage people tend to head down early December. Uh, A lot of the eventers that I help when I'm down there, they don't tend to head down until more like Christmas time. But yeah, it's good to get there and set up and ready to rock and roll by the beginning of December. That's coming up quickly. I'm sure you're excited. Yippers. And also, what's your coverage area? I've never been down there, so I can't totally appreciate the area that you cover down there. So I'm mainly based in Wellington. So that's on the east coast of Florida. So kind of like Fort Lauderdale, north of Miami, that kind of area. Okay. So I'm based there primarily. And Wellington has a high propensity for the jumpers, hunters, dressage. Polo is actually very popular there, too. Oh, that's cool. And a little bit of smattering of other disciplines. So I'm there kind of full time. But I do make the journey, which is a long, boring drive up to Ocala. And so Ocala is kind of more in the middle of the state by Orlando. Okay. And how long of a drive is that? Depends on how fast you drive. I mean, I I always just go the speed limit. Yes, of course. (laughs) Three and a half, four hours. And kind of up there in Ocala, we're going to see much more high density of eventers. So that's primarily where all the eventers go if they're going to go to Florida over Aiken. But now with Wetka, not Wetfa, Wetka. Oh boy, that can only be slightly (laughs) confusing. (laughs) So it's a new horse show ground in Ocala that I think we're going to see a lot more of our hunter jumpers and dressage people hitting up that showgrounds once all the political turmoil settles down there as well. So I think I'll be making the drive a lot more frequently this year. That's just a huge service area, really. Yep. Except Wellington is so concentrated. Like, so if we look at our practice here in Ontario, so I'm out of our Uxbridge office, you know, we kind of service, let's say, Port Perry to Schaumburg. So it's about an hour diameter. Right. So you could be on either extent and have to drive all the way to the other extent. And that adds so much time to your day. Wellington, probably diameter is maybe 20 minutes. Wow, that's amazing. So it's so concentrated. And literally a tank of gas will last me almost an entire week there because you don't really drive. Makes a huge difference. Definitely. It's it's so much easier in Wellington to get from farm to farm and case to case and stop in and check in on those little things that are just bothering you at night versus when you're in Ontario and you're prohibited because of the time of driving and commuting and getting from A to B. So yes, the drive between Wellington and Ocala is long, but when I'm in Wellington, it's very convenient that everything is so close. Having that shorter drive time can make a huge impact on your day. Mm -hmm. And do you offer the same appointments in Florida as you do here in Ontario? Yep. My poor little forerunner gets packed down with all the equipment. So I bring the x-ray, the ultrasound, the shockwave, 
the ProStride unit, the Cairo Bale and all my acupuncture stuff. It comes down with me. And then I also have some relationships with some of the hospitals down there that if I needed equipment that I didn't bring, so say like IRAP or some of those other treatment options that uh, I have access to it when I'm there. Pretty much I can do everything in Florida that I do up here. That's great. Yep. It's a good little community down there. Well, I'll have to come visit. Completely unrelated to the weather. Anytime I might have a spare bedroom. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, I'm sure you're looking forward to it. And we all hope you have a really good winter down there in Florida. Very cool. But while we're on the subject, I want to, can I quiz you? Is that allowed? I'm ready. And worst case, uh, we can edit it out. (laughs) Super. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on uh, some tips on getting horses down to Florida? Oh, like the shipping process? And I guess from a veterinary standpoint, what is often a headache to get done to get these horses down south? So my answer would be to make sure that they have an updated uh, negative Coggins test to then be able to uh, have the health papers, which health papers much like you, a lot of our equine community is heading down to Florida because it's getting a little bit colder. So there's quite a substantial amount of people that are heading down right now. So I think also the expectations that papers can be done and signed by our governing body overnight. Maybe we just need a little bit more time to finish those things due to quantity. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it finds maybe, I'm not sure what it is, maybe COVID or something. It just seems It's so much harder to get the federal vet's time. And so to get these papers done takes longer than maybe is thought of. So yes, definitely having the negative Coggins and then the time to be able to get the health paper signed by the federal vet. And as you said, it often cannot happen overnight. So that I would say is one of the biggest tips to have is make sure you have your ducks in the row paperwork wise to get your horses down. I know for us, you know, we always want to provide the fastest, efficient service that we can. But uh, also, we got to remember, too, the federal vet does other things than just horses as well. So taking a a stack of papers one day is a lot for their day as well. And it's probably a little bit easier to now since Equine Canada or Equestrian Canada, I think is what its real name is, Mm -hmm. has implemented um, like the USEF is the vaccine requirements as well. Horses don't have vaccine requirements to cross the border. So you can cross the border without the animal being vaccinated. But if you're going to show, make sure that you're up to date on your vaccine requirements for whatever showing discipline and or jurisdiction you're going to be with. Because also those cannot be done just before the horse gets on the trailer or gets off the trailer for health reasons and legally wise in terms of the paperwork. So you have to make sure you get your ducks in a row to make sure you have the vaccines required. That's definitely right. That's a big thing. And actually brings me to if we could just talk about why we do not vaccinate with a certain period of time with the horse leaving. Yeah. So technically, it's not allowed based on government regulations when you transport the horse. When we sign the paperwork, so the health papers, we are saying that the animal has not been vaccinated very close to shipping. And it's primarily because every so often you could get a bit of a fever or a bit of a systemic reaction to the vaccine. I think nowadays, as I keep bringing it up, but with COVID, Mm -hmm. people are a little bit more familiar about the side effects or the after effects of getting a vaccine that you may not feel super for a short period of time. And I think some of our horses may also have those uh, symptoms. 
And so you don't want to be trying to cross the border with a horse that has a bit of a fever from a vaccine because the border might think it's because that they're unwell and unfit to travel and turn you around. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's legally we're not allowed to vaccinate very close to shipping. Thank you for explaining that. I think sometimes there's obviously a lot of things you have to figure out in order to be getting your horse across the border. So I think that's something that sometimes we get questions about. So that's great. Thank you for explaining that. My pleasure, Karen. Did we have any further getting our horses ready for Florida questions? I think a lot of people have probably done it before, but making sure that we try to get them uh, comfortable in their bodies, to so covering them for GI protection. So shipping, no matter how experienced the horses, is stressful. Mm-hmm. So making sure that we're on top of their, especially their stomach well-being in terms of gastric ulcers. So sometimes using medication to help with that prior to shipping and on arrival, getting these horses to drink as much as possible and eat well in the trailer, having their heads at a you know low level so that any bodily secretions, <laughs> very <laughs> mucus, well said, mucus uh, can easily get uh, come out of their lungs and not get stuck down in there because shipping fever is a big thing. Mm-hmm. And so it can lead to extremely serious issues like pleuronomonia. And so trying to keep our horses healthy during transit would be important. Absolutely. Those are some really good tips. Yeah. And then, you know, checking their temperature when they arrive, keeping an eye on it. And if they do spike a fever, treating it aggressively and very promptly would be important. And actually, Karen, if you're interested, I believe on the 26th, though, as we're recording, it it would be next Friday. Mm -hmm. There's actually should be an article coming out in Horse Sport that I helped with about tips on preparing your horse for transit, what to do during transit, and once you arrive in Florida, and and uh, more information about the healthcare of horses that do go down south for the winter. Oh, that's awesome! I look forward to reading that. That's great. Take a look. Should be apparently online as oh. of the twenty sixth. Oh, that's awesome! All right, should we dive into some cases here? Let's do it, Karen. <laughs> okay. Were you going to introduce our first case? Yeah. So I think just in terms of, you know, general, what you had brought up in the introduction is a common presentation or complaint that I hear is a horse is spooky or unsure of what they're being asked to do. And I think obviously we have to make sure that the horse's training is kind of where we need it. And from a training perspective, the horse is not being asked to do something that it's not prepared to but definitely looking for any physical reasons why we're getting some abnormal behavior or spooky behavior would be crucial as well. I hope that these three cases will kind of help demonstrate how as much as we would love the world to be simple, and if the horse displays behavior A, it's because of one problem. Hopefully these three examples of cases will show that even though the horse is displaying a similar symptom or a similar behavior, It can be from a wide variety of problems and working with your team. So the team of your trainer or your coach or another experienced horse person, your medical team, like your veterinarian, maybe your body worker and saddle fitter or those other uh, professionals would also be important. I think it's such a big thing for us at McKee Pownell just to have that team approach as well and and just realizing there's several different aspects to to horses and Mm -hmm. their lives and performance. Exactly. So the first case that um, I have come across, and these three cases we're going to talk about are cases that I have seen. They're not just made up. So the first case is a relatively experienced hunter has shown on the circuit for a few years. And, you know, he knows his job. 
usually goes in the ring and, and does his job well. But all of a sudden he started spooking in the ring and not wanting to go to a jump or the end of a ring or would see something outside of the ring, even like a bicycle beside the ring and just wouldn't go forward, wouldn't do his job. And so that's the the call we get. So kind of when we get to the farm, I know you've you've seen quite a few appointments, Karen. What do you think the first thing we would do is? So I would think that the first thing that we would do is a veterinarian such as yourself would look at the horse, feeling them over in the aisle initially to feel if there is anything kind of abnormal or that stands out in your physical of them prior to then taking them into the arena or a ring to be able to watch the move and perhaps do some flexions and tests from there. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what we did with this horse, getting the history from the client in terms of what's happening and what's going on and then feeling the horse over and trying to find, is there any physical reason why he's now not doing his job? On this horse, when we were feeling him in the barn, he was actually quite reactive up around his ears. Oh, okay. And kind of that upper neck region when we were when we were palpating him. Didn't find any swelling in any limbs. Put him out on the lunge line. He sound. He looks good. We do the flexion tests. That's when we, we jog the horse either in hand or under saddle. And then we stress different parts of their leg and to see if we can show a soreness or an area that, of discomfort. This horse flexed well. It was noticed as we were working with him that if he got up above the bit, so his okay. head kind of up back with a bit of a hollow back, mm-hmm. he would start being much more reluctant to move forward. Interesting. So we check saddle fit. Yes. Because mm-hmm. definitely, you know, if you get a little pinch from the saddle or, or tight back muscles, um, when you get into that position, it could cause more discomfort. Um, but his saddle seemed to fit well. His back palpated well. He had good range of motion through his back. That didn't seem to be the issue. So we just kept coming back to this tight pole. Again, luckily, I am able to do veterinary spinal manipulative therapy or animal chiropractic and found his pole to be very restricted, especially on the right side. It was, for a better term, stuck. Okay. Mm-hmm. And had very poor range of motion. So we were able to work with him probably over two or three adjustments over the course of maybe about six weeks. And uh, we were able to really, really help the behavior of the spookiness in the ring. And so it was kind of interesting in hindsight, likely when he would see something and he would elevate his outline or his frame a little bit, that's when something would kind of pinch. And then that would cause him to not want to perform and not want to work for us anymore. Isn't that interesting when you're able to find what works and what helped in this situation and be able to go back and realize Exactly that. It makes sense when you think about it, that he'd be performing in his particular frame. He'd see something that would spark his attention. He'd elevate his frame and then it would cause discomfort and would affect his job. How interesting. And, you know, obviously we we don't know entirely what's going on in a horse's mind. But if he looks at a bicycle and then he gets a, a pinch in his neck, potentially associating that bicycle with discomfort and not wanting then to go towards the bicycle would make sense. Of course. Yeah. It seems very rational when you when you think about it, when I'm sure initially our clients or, or the riders were trying to figure out, well, what's going on? This horse has performed so regularly and knows his job. What's happening? Wow. Really interesting to see how it went from start to finish for this particular case. Exactly. And so now this horse, we maintain them, um, depending on if he's showing or not, 
every month-ish, he at least gets looked at just to make sure things seem to be going well. The rider has also gotten to the point where they're getting pretty sensitive to it. And, and if they feel in that little bit of restriction or that little bit of unwillingness to go forward, I typically get a phone call and we go see him again and make sure everything is still in working order. Especially too, uh, to try to keep on good habits, right? I'm sure once it started with his spooky behavior in the ring, that then it could be a, you get nervous perhaps that it becomes a behavioral. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So yeah, there's case number one, a spooky horse ended up being a chiropractic issue, primarily up in the pole. What's our second case you have for it? Now I'm all like, <laughs> inter- I'm really interested. Oh. I love your enthusiasm. <laughs> okay, so next case is we're going to go into the eventing world. Okay. So uh, in the eventing world, they go cross country, they deal with a variety of terrains and footing, anything from grass to if it's raining out mud. And so this horse, again, one that it's still an up and comer. It's still hopefully progressing through its eventing career. But it's seen down banks and ditches and all the kind of normal cross country questions that get asked. Mm -hmm. But this horse, even though it was very willing to jump stadium jumps, had good form, good technique, good scores in the dressage, and out on cross country would jump a variety of different jumps, was extremely spooky hesitant and almost bolting on its down banks. Okay. So that's when, you know, they have to jump down off of either like a a raised table type situation Mm -hmm. or even it was getting a little bit anxious on a jump on like a hill where they'd have to land on a downhill. Okay. And kind of canter down down the hill after landing. Yes, which I imagine could be quite unnerving for a rider as well because that kind of seems... uh positionally uh like a scary <laughs> scarier exactly. obstacle yeah. yes no one wants to get run away with down a hill definitely without breaks. not definitely <laughs> not <laughs> so i think the same as what we talked about for the first case was we wanted to make sure that this wasn't a physical reason yeah. that this horse was having this spooky bolting type behavior because it was performing so well at the other other obstacles mm-hmm. we wanted to start with our physical exam we went over this horse, uh, both acupuncture scan, chiropractic exam, things seem to be in order. You know, maybe on the acupuncture exam, a little tight in a couple of the points on the neck, like so some of the base of the neck points. Mm-hmm. This was a thoroughbred, as a lot of event horses are. Mm-hmm. Going over, you know, legs seemed relatively clean and tight for, for an X-race horse as well didn't really resent any palpation, couldn't find heat or swelling, was a little reactive to hoof testers kind of all along the sole of both front feet. But other than that, looked good. So started, went into the arena, lunged both ways, seemed good, did its flexion test, nothing overly exciting. Then we happened to be able to have some hard ground outside uh, where they parked the cars. There was like a, a pavement area that was safe footing. So we were comfortable enough that the to look at the horse out on the footing that we didn't want him to slip and fall down, but he seemed relatively well behaved. So we went out and we put him on a circle on the pavement. And lo and behold, he got this really short, choppy stride. Oh, interesting. And you could see him get really kind of tense and anxious about it. So does that bring anything to mind with what I've told you so far, Karen? I'm thinking harder ground, so can be harder impact when the horse moves. Mm-hmm. And thinking just in what you had said, what seemed kind of abnormal was feeling a little bit uh, reactive on its neck. But I'm thinking back to the hoof tester reaction yeah. you said to on the horse's front feet. 
Exactly. Yeah. So this horse, what we ended up doing because he did show a bit of a lameness on that hard pavement on the circle in both directions. Mm -hmm. Um, We did end up doing a diagnostic nerve block. So when we temporarily numb parts of their leg to try to help determine where the discomfort was coming from, Mm -hmm. we nerve blocked his left front foot. And when we put him back on the circle, he looked good going to the left, but he then had a head nod or a much more obvious lameness in the right front going to the right. So we blocked the right front foot and then he was much more comfortable out on the pavement. So we were worried it had been a long, hard, hot summer mm-hmm. that the, the ground had gotten a little firm. So we ended up working with the farrier. So again, working with the horse's entire team. Mm-hmm. We worked with the farrier to figure out a shoeing option that might help with this horse. So we put some pads on to help protect the sole. We did a course of anti-inflammatories to settle down some inflammation that was going on. Mm-hmm. And this is after, you know, doing some x-rays, making sure the joints and everything seemed in working order and there wasn't anything too terrible with the horse's joints or bones. Mm-hmm. We did the shoeing changes. We did the anti-inflammatories and got him a lot more comfortable on recheck. It was probably about two or three weeks later. He was much more comfortable doing that circle on the hard ground uh, in both directions. And uh, going back out onto the cross-country course, it took him maybe a couple schools just to kind of, I think, mentally get over it. Mm-hmm. But he became way more rideable on his down banks, way more rideable on the jumps going downhill. What the suspicion was or the diagnosis was, but he had some low-grade foot pain. And he knew when he had to land off the down bank mm-hmm. onto the firm summer ground that he'd get a little stingy feet. And so he was behaviorally not wanting to go through that. And so that's why he was rushing his down banks and having the spooky behavior because he did not want to uh, feel that discomfort or he was anticipating a little bit of discomfort on the landing side of those fences. What a smart horse. And when probably in terms of the rider or trainer, probably thinking, what's going on? Like if the horse Mm -hmm. has been so, again, consistent and then shows such a dramatic change in behavior, smart horse. And meanwhile, I'm thinking probably, oh, this horse is being naughty today. (laughs) Exactly. Yep. We want to make sure that on that one that we stay on top of some foot protection and again, work with work with his whole team to make sure we keep him as comfortable as possible. And uh, he's continued to progress up the levels. So fingers crossed, he keeps going. Again, just thinking back to um, as you're talking about your exam and, and how the appointments go, I think it's just so cool that you have your acupuncture and the animal chiropractic behind you as well as your veterinary. So you're able to have all these different modalities to be able to mm-hmm. look at each horse and and piece it all together. I always feel like I say this a lot, but just to have another piece of the puzzle to figure everything out. Exactly. Especially on these more subtle issues. I don't want to call them lamenesses or anything, but these mm-hmm. subtle issues that aren't presenting in a classical limping horse to, as you said, put the pieces of the puzzle together to try to figure out what's what's bugging them. Absolutely. We've gone through two of our three cases here. It's just so interesting because both kind of presenting in similar ways that they've had a significant behavior change while performing and uh, just have two very different outcomes. Exactly. So our third and final case is a horse was, it was a recent purchase. The client hadn't really done a pre-purchase exam. This is going to just be more of a low level pleasure type horse. They recently acquired this horse. 
and uh, was working in a barn with an indoor arena and an outdoor arena, like a lot of places have, especially up here in Ontario. And this mare, when you would take her, ride her outside, no complaints, happily does her job, you know, seems relatively brave, goes into the corners of the ring. You know, the owner could ride her around the jumps, even if they were decorated hunter kind of jumps and the horse didn't seem to care. And that's when she would bring the mare into the indoor arena. It was like a different horse. So spooky in the corners, didn't want to go into the corners, really had a hard time being ridden inside. and was just very worried and spooky indoors. So many environmental aspects could could come into play in terms of indoors versus outdoors. For sure. And this one was a little bit harder since it was a new horse to the client, not knowing what is normal for this one. So our previous two cases was kind of a a change in behavior. And this is a new horse for the client. So we don't know. Maybe the mare had never been in an indoor. You know, there was other factors associated with this horse. But again, the client wanted to cover her bases and get the horse checked out to make sure there wasn't a physical reason why the mare was having such an aversion or, or behavioral change in the indoor. Again, really just interested. <laughs> I know. I'm just always interested just because it, it they are all so different. Yeah. So same thing as as before. Just a little bit of a broken record. We <laughs> want to start start with our, our history and our physical exam. And on this horse, you know, nothing too exciting on the physical exam, chiropractically or acupuncture wise. The neck and back all seemed good with good range of motion, uh, limbs palpated well. This one was good to hoof testers, you know, couldn't find any areas of swelling or discomfort throughout her body. So we like, okay, well, let's go see her move. So we took her into the indoor and this might help give away the uh, problem that this horse had. But when we went into the indoor, it was a beautiful indoor and it had lots of big windows Mm -hmm. and the sun would come in through the windows. And as we're working with the horse in the indoor, it became a little apparent that she would struggle with the change in, in light. So if we worked her just in the one corner, which didn't have any windows, she'd lunge relatively well. But when we put her on the big circle, which then had to include parts of the arena of different uh, light intensities, she definitely had a change in behavior. Oh, interesting. Were we thinking to move on to perhaps some eyes to check the you eyes know of the it, horse? Karen. So we did then look uh, in depth into her eyes to see was there a problem with her vision, and that's why the changing in light uh, intensity was was such an issue. And this horse actually ended up having a cyst in her eye. So I think we probably all looked in horse eyes before, and they have kind of a horizontal pupil. So that's the part of the eye that opens and closes with different light intensities, just like ours. Ours is more of a circle, but horses is more kind of like a oval. There you go. (laughs) A horse's pupil is more like an oval. And oftentimes on the top of this oval, it almost looks like horses normally in most horse eyes have a little bit of a little growth on the top of their pupil. Um, This is the corpora nigra. And it's normal in most horses. And we don't entirely know what it's for. But on this horse, when we examined it, it had a large outpouching or cyst of this corpora nigra. Okay. And so when the pupil would change shape, this big cyst would be in different areas of the horse's visual field. So when it was in different areas of the visual field, it would kind of be like a blind spot. Mm -hmm. And 
what was determined was likely as the horse's pupil was changing when it was working in the indoor, going from the bright spots to the darker spots and the brighter spots to the darker spots, that this change in the blind spot on the mare was really bothering her behaviorally. Mm-hmm. We ended up working with our referral hospital, uh, so at OVC at the Ontario Veterinary College. And we were able to send this mare to have the cyst uh, treated with a laser. Oh, cool. Which I always think of Austin Powers because I'm so immature. (laughs) But we got to essentially explode the cyst with the laser, which is so cool. I didn't even know that was possible for in horses. Yeah, exactly. So when she came back, the cyst was no longer there and it could come back in time. But without that blind spot or without that cyst in her eye, uh, her behavior changed almost immediately. And she was much more of a willing partner. She wasn't worried when it would, the light would change from light to dark and her behavior completely settled down. So, you know, another example of a horse that's spooky or, you know, potentially looks like they're unwilling to work, mm-hmm. but it was for a physical reason. That's so interesting because you could ride this horse outside, as you mentioned before, and never have an issue just thinking about how, as a pupil, would change, how it would change the position. That's just so neat to really wrap your head around that outside it was fine inside as the people changed made this blind spot in the visual field and and that's how they reacted of course much as we probably would as well yeah except that i would hope most people aren't worried that the tiger is going to come eat them unlike horses who always seem to worry that the tigers in the bush going to come eat that's them. that's true i guess there's always that possibility <laughs> as i said such similar cases in presentation initially and three extremely different outcomes you know, being a horse owner myself too, and and having animals, you want things to be easy. You want things to be obvious. You know, as I said before, if they show behavior A, you want it to be because of one reason, but it can be from such a wide variety of reasons that, again, working with your team, working, you know, getting to the, the bottom of it by doing a thorough evaluation is always so important. And on these horses, you know, yes, if we can rule out any physical reason for them to have a behavioral issue, then maybe we go into the, okay, it's maybe a training issue and and we can get more involved with the, with training the horse. But you want to make sure that you rule out physical issues because all three of these horses, if you had just assumed it was a training problem, I could definitely see the behaviors potentially spiraling worse because they always say you can't train through pain. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. So a horse that's in pain or discomfort or or that sort of thing, training doesn't often get them through it. Absolutely. No, I think this has been a a very educational talk with you about these cases. And as you said, going through the teamwork and really kind of crossing your T's, that's how I was brought up as well. My mom was always about we rule out all the physical reasons first, and then you can kind of go forward with a good conscience, knowing perhaps it's behavioral or maybe you find an answer. Exactly. Well, I uh, greatly appreciate you coming on and, and talking about these cases and about Florida. A little, little jealous. I'll, I'll just mention that there. <laughs> Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about? No, I think we covered a lot of it, uh, Karen. And uh, yeah, looking forward to the winter season and getting back down to Florida and uh, really being able to help these horses do the job so everyone can have a great time. Absolutely. Oh, that's so exciting. And just before I let you go, I just want to do a couple little promotional things as they're coming up that we do have our dental months coming up. So that's no call fee for dentistry appointments in the months of December, January and February. 
as well as our wellness plans and packages um, are ready to go and purchasing before December 31st of this year. So 2021, can't believe that's coming up so fast that you'll maintain the 2021 pricings. And just as well that the items are 20% off actually in these packaging. So definitely something good to look into. Thank you so much for, for joining us again today, Catherine. And we wish you all the best in Florida. And thank you as well to all of our listeners of the EquiConnect podcast. Thank you for joining us. It was so much fun. Looking forward to doing it again. <laughs> thank you. This podcast is not a substitute for regular and emergency veterinary care. Our purpose is to inform and educate horse people not to diagnose and treat medical conditions without a valid veterinary client-patient relationship.